Exodus chapter 13. Hopefully you're there. We'll read verse 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. So what the Lord is going to do here, uh, several things throughout chapter 13, is God is going to provide a, in a sense, token of remembrance for the nation of Israel of how God protected them and how God kept them safe. I don't know about you. I'm not very good at this. Every morning do we wake up and say, wow, God, you gave me another day of life. Every morning we wake up and say, Lord, there's several people that have died in their sleep this night, died in car accidents this night. And Lord, you saved me. You gave me another day of life. Every morning do we wake up and say, wow, God, the creator of heaven and earth, sent his only son to die for me so that I will be freed from sin, so that I don't have to sin. Wow, Lord, it's just getting out of bed and I'm reminded of this. Maybe that's you every morning, but it's not me. And what the Lord does is he creates a way for them to be reminded of the work of God within their lives. And we need to be reminded of this too. Because just as the nation of Israel is quick to forget all that God has done for them, we too will quickly forget. So God says, hey, consecrate to me. So take something that's ordinary and now it's special to me. It's set apart for the Lord and now belongs to God. Whatever is the firstborn, again, a sign, a picture, as Egypt lost all their firstborn children and the Israelites, all their firstborn children were protected for them to have that reminder, hey, this belongs to God. God is the one that saved us. God is the one that protected us. So now verse 3 through 7, there is in a sense a holiday which God creates for them to remember the work that the Lord had done for them. In verse 3, it says, and Moses said to the people, remember this day. In which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. Month Abib, it's between March and April. Verse 5, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you. A land flowing with milk and honey that you shall keep the service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. So again, the reason for this feast of unleavened bread was for them to remember what God had done for them in Egypt. Verse 3, remember this day. So God is creating this and what should they remember? What should they be reminded of? God saving them from Egypt. God freeing them from the house of bondage. And being reminded who does all the glory go to? It goes to God. They really did nothing. They just followed orders. They were given an option of orders to follow, and they did it. That's the only thing that they did within this liberation of all these millions of slaves. And now when God says, hey, one day I'm going to bring you into the land, which I swore to your fathers to give to you, what the Lord is continuing to remind the nation of Israel is that God always makes good on his promises. God always makes good on his promises. 
The problem for us is we don't always agree with his timeline, right? Sometimes we want that timeline to be quick, to be instant. Sometimes we get his promises and we take them out of context or we misrepresent them. But the Lord always makes good on his promises. And to the point where now verse 7, he says, hey, no leavening, no leavened bread shall be among you. So he it's a week with no French bread, no Cuban bread, no pastelitos. A whole week, not even can you eat it, but you can even have it within your homes or the homes of your family members. And this is a weird holiday, kind of a bummer. I like my pastelito cortadito in the morning, right? What's going on here? This is all to be reminded of the day when God saved the nation of Israel from slavery and from their bondage by the death of a perfect and spotless lamb that now in their lives... They would be freed from the flesh, they'd be freed from sin, and they could live a life of purity following the Lord. That's the reminder here for the Israelites. That's the reminder that we need, that Jesus' death on the cross, it's not freedom for us to do whatever we want to do, but now we've been given the freedom and the power to not have to do the things that our flesh craves and desires. Again, Paul, when he talks about leavening, he talks about sin and the flesh. And when we give a small occasion for sin in our lives, when we allow a small occasion of the flesh in our lives, does it just stay there? It grows and it multiplies and it takes over our lives, the lives of our family members, the lives of all the people we love. Right? Imagine during your holidays, during Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, right? Someone's making a delicious meal. And just a little bit of sewage water fell into it, right? Just a tiny bit, not that much, right? What do you do? Just pull out the tablespoon and, hey, let me just pull that out. Don't worry. The rest is fine. The rest is okay. No, you say that whole thing is gone. That whole thing needs to be destroyed. And for us, we should not allow any part of sin and the flesh to take power to take hold of our lives. So again, to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus in our lives, it should give us all the more reason to leave no occasion for the flesh or sin in our lives. And now what's the reason for this holiday? What's the reason for this feast? Verse 8, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So they had the feast. The reason to have the feast was to be reminded of what God had done. And now what should we do? We should be telling our children, telling our sons, telling our daughters what God has done for us. Parents, have you had those conversations with your kids, the things that God has done for you? Our children should always have a better spiritual upbringing than we did. Right? Some of us here, we're here by a miracle, right? Our parents have wanted nothing to do with the Lord. Our family wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And we're just here by a miracle. So now what should we be doing for our sons and daughters? We should be drawing them as near to the Lord as we possibly can. All of our life, we should be focused on bringing up our kids in the things of the Lord. And that naturally happens in certain things, right? There are certain dads here. They tell their kids, hey, go to school so you don't have to work hard like I did, right? 
Go to school, get a good job so you don't have to work hard like I do. I don't know of any dad that says, hey, you're not allowed to go to school. You need to work harder than I did, right? You need to work harder than I did. I hope there's no dads here like that, right? How many parents were growing up, right? One of my favorite meals is still arroz con huevo frito, right? It's just rice and fried eggs. Very cheap, but it's good. But how many parents made your kids eat all the food on their plate because in the past there were seasons when you didn't know when your next meal was going to happen? So you pay it forward and you remind the kids, Mom, Dad, why do I got to eat all my food? Because there's what? Kids starving in Cuba, right? Kids starving in Africa. And that's what you tell them. But now as parents, what do we tell our kids when it comes to the spiritual things? Do we make excuses for them? They say, I I don't want to force them to go to church. I don't want to force them to go to youth group. What if they rebel, right? Do we apply that to the doctor? Do we apply that to school? I don't want to force them to go to school. What if they rebel? Is that how we apply to their diet, right? I don't want to force them to eat, right, meat and vegetables. What if they rebel? No, we, we do these things because this is what's most important for their lives. So again, as parents, we should always be paying it forward and focusing more on the Lord than our own parents did. And that's what God is reminding the nation of Israel to do. That on these days when your sons and daughters ask, hey, why are we doing this? We say, because of what God has done for me. Again, family, do your sons and daughters, does your family, does your coworkers know what God has done for you? And then he goes into verse 9 and 10. This was never supposed to be. Some of you may know the the term, the word phylacteries, right? Fun word of the day. Scrabble winner, right? Phylacteries. Where they would get these small boxes of leather and they would put little portions of the scripture in it. And they would tie it on their hands. They would tie it on their foreheads. And now the religious leaders use these two verses that were not meant to be something physical, but something within their lives. That God's word would take place within all the things that they do with their hands. That God's word would take place in all the things that we see, all the things we think about. That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Again, they don't have a box of leather in their mouth. This was something that was supposed to be a sign for them. But again, do we have God's law abiding in our mouth? It all is dependent on what's going on in our heart. If we have a heart and an attitude of thankfulness for what God has done for us, if we have a heart and an attitude of wonder and excitement for all the incredible things that God is doing, if we have a genuine love within our hearts for all that God has done for us, His law will be on our mouths. We turn to Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6 verse 45, Jesus gives us a truth here. He tells us, how do you know what kind of a tree is what kind of a tree, right? How do you know that a mango tree is a mango tree? It's got mangoes hanging on it, right? Very simple uh, truth here. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, Jesus tells us, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Again, family, what did we talk about during our Christmas holiday, right? During New Year's. Did we heed the warnings, right, before Thanksgiving, before Christmas? Don't bring politics, right, to the family meals. Or was our heart just burning so much that it was just bursting forth, right, and all the politics just came out, right? What is it? What's, the, what's going on in your heart? Is it just you're so excited about the Dolphins, we might finally make the playoffs after God only knows how long, and, and it just comes out of your mouth, right? Maybe you're into stocks, bitcoins, hitting all highs, right, and you got to just tell everyone about what's going on. What's going on in our hearts? If there's an excitement for the Lord and His Word, His law in our heart, it's going to come out of our mouths. Again, what's going on in there? What kind of a tree are we, right? Again, it goes plain and simple to evil and good, but it continues to grow from that. What are the treasures that we hold within our hearts? Does God's law truly have ownership in our mouths and over our mouths? We go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 11. It tells us, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, what is this? That you shall say to him, by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Again, God wants them to set apart the firstborn. Not only does God want them to be reminded of what he did for them in Egypt, freeing them from bondage one time a year and a holiday, but he wants them to be reminded of it every single time a firstborn comes into the world, whether beast or whether a son or a daughter. He wants them to be constantly reminded that God prepared a way of salvation. He wants them to always be reminded that God provided a perfect spotless lamb to take their place to save their sons and their daughters. Each and every time. And now what would happen when the sons and daughters would see this sacrifice taking place? It would give another occasion to remind the family of the things that God has done for them. Again, it's so important for us to remind this generation coming up of the things that God has done for us. Again, we're going to see it in not even one chapter that the nation of Israel, they quickly forget all the things that God has done for them. Lord has actually freed them from slavery after 430 years. Their three days journey outside of their slavery. And within moments of fear, hey, why did you bring us out here to die? It would have been better for us to stay slaves in Egypt. We constantly need to be reminded. And now for us, what's the sacrifice in our lives for the Lord? What are we sacrificing for the Lord? What's the cost in your relationship with God? 
Does it cost you anything? Or is it just pure convenience, right? And that's how our relationship with God looks like. How would it feel, right? Someone buys you a gift and it's worth just thousands of dollars, right? And they cared about it. They loved it. They wanted it. And it was exactly what you wanted. Man, the joy in our hearts, the relationship there, the friendship there. But now how would you feel? You bought that person a huge gift. And now you open the gift they gave you. And what do you find inside? A card for a free magazine subscription. You turn it over. You just got to pay the $19.95 shipping and handling. And the gift is for you. I hope no one here has given that to anyone else, right? If you have, you could pray. You could seek the Lord, right? You could come up front for prayer afterwards. It kind of be a slap in the face. Why? It cost them nothing. It cost them absolutely nothing. And that's a gift. Now, how about our relationships, right? Are you in a relationship? Usually it costs us something. A husband, a wife, employer, employee, kids, parents. These relationships, they cost us something. But for us, after all that God has done for us, after he's provided the lamb, after he's paved the way, after he's the one that rained the ten plagues down, where is our sacrifice? Because our kids will see it. If there's no sacrifice, they'll see it. But if there's a sacrifice, they'll see it and they'll ask, hey, dad, mom, why are we doing this, right? Why do we got to go to church again? Why do we got to go do this? Why do we got to go do that? And then we get to say, because of all that God has done for us. Again, may there be that sacrifice and may there be that conversation. Our sons, our daughters, our spouses, our family members, our friends. Hey, we have those conversations. And again, all the glory goes to the Lord. By the strength of the hand of the Lord. All the glory. It could only go to God. He's the one that has done all the work. We just need to accept the gift and be obedient to him. Verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. That God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. For God said lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war. And they return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Again, God cares for us. That's something that we'll continually see within these two chapters. God cares for us. God loves us more than we will ever love him. God wants us to be with him more than we can ever want him to be with us. It's just the reality of the great love of God. So again, in verse 17 and 18, God says, hey, this is the shortcut. But if I take them through the land of the Philistines and they see what war is going to cost, they're going to run. They're going to flee back. So, hey, we're going to take the scenic route, right? We're going to go around this way. We're going to have to cut through this. And God is doing all this because he wants them to make it. God wants them to make it. You realize that in your walk, your relationship with God He wants you to make it. He wants you to have a good relationship and friendship with him. He wants you to love reading his word. He's not going to make it more difficult than it has to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, you can just write that one down. Paul, he tells us, he tells the church of Corinth, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Everything that we've ever gone through in life, however easy, 
however difficult, the Lord knows that if you lean into him, you're going to be able to bear it. You're going to be able to handle it. The question for us is, are we actually leaning into him or are we getting bitter and angry towards him? Because he's provided the way out. He's not going to put us through a situation which is going to cause us to run back and run away from him. But he's going to allow certain trials, temptations to come to the surface so we can truly see the reality of where our friendship and relationship is with the Lord. Sometimes a trial comes up, a temptation comes up, and we don't get our way. And right away, we just hate God. What is that showing us? I love you guys, but it's just what an immature child does, right? When a kid doesn't get their way, are they like super happy, super excited about it? No, right away, right? Going through this season, uh, all my kids are around two years old. They start becoming another person, right? My youngest, he's in the season where he gets mad. He goes, I don't love you, right? <laughs> he gets mad. I don't love you, right? It's funny because I mess with him. I go, guess what? He goes, guess what? I still love you. And he's like, man, you got me again, right? <laughs> and that's what he does. He's two years old. When he doesn't get his way, even though he gets the chocolate milk in the morning and he gets his diaper changed and he gets clothes put on him and then we clean up his dirty diaper and then we clean up the accident and then we feed him again and we give him toys. Even though we do all that, one small thing and that's it. He's triggered. I hate you. I want nothing to do with you, right? But wait, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. You stick around here, but I hate you, right? And that's what we do to the Lord sometimes. Lord, you're keeping me alive. Lord, you allowed me to wake up this morning. What did I do to keep my heart beating or my lungs working correctly? Nothing. But Lord, I hate you. I'm mad at you. I'm angry with you. But Lord, stick around. Don't just completely leave me alone, right? And the Lord allows those things so we would see where we're at. Not that we get more bitter, but that we say, wow, Lord, would you forgive me, Lord? I'm not as mature as I thought I was. So again, the Lord, he sees what would happen if they go through the land of the Philistines. And he says, hey, let's not go that way. They're going to run. They're going to give up. Verse 19, Moses, he took the bones of Joseph with him. And he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here with you. If you remember at the end of Genesis chapter 50 verse 25 it says then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Again this is Joseph's claim to fame in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22 it says by faith Joseph when he was dying made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Again, his claim to fame within Hebrews 11 is that he believed that, hey, Egypt is not our home. Egypt, this world, is not our home. So you know what? It might be a little creepy for everybody, but you're going to put me in the sarcophagus. You're going to leave my casket out and about in front of everybody so that it would be a reminder that this is not our home. One day, you're going to take me to where home truly is and that we would have that same faith. To know, hey, this world is not our home. Verse 20. So they took their journey from Succoth and they encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Family, our God cares about us. 
Our God loves us. He cares about us so much. Not only does he free the nation of Israel from slavery, but then he goes on to provide shade for them during the day in the desert. And he provides a nightlight. He provides a sense of warmth. He provides a sense of protection at night to protect them from any enemies. And now again, picture this. Put yourself here. It's not a pillar, right? We have these little pillars in the corners of this room. It's not a small pillar like that. The nation of Israel, they're anywhere between 1 million to 2 million people, right? Maybe some of you, you like camping. You went camping over the weekend, over the holidays. And how long did it take you to pack the car, right? For a two-day hiking trip, right? A one-week camping trip. Now imagine all these people are leaving Egypt with all of their stuff, all of their animals, all of their kids. And not only that, but now they ask the Egyptians for gold and silver. The Egyptians give them all their gold and silver. And now they're tracking through the wilderness with this is thousands of square miles of people, right? Two million people with all their stuff in hand and tow. And now God's word tells us that he provided shade for the nation of Israel during the day. It's not just a little skinny pillar. We're talking about like a tornado here of cloud in the middle of the desert to provide shade for the people. Again, God went before them. Our Lord will always lead us. He will not just drive us and push us, but he's always going to lead us along the way, just like any good shepherd would do. And he went before them. He protected them, provides for them. Our God cares for us. Again, this is probably why the enemies of Israel, they would stand at a distance. Again, imagine people are going through your city block and there's a, a pillar of fire right in front of them everywhere they go. I'm not going to pick on them. I'm not going to mess with those people, right? I don't know what they're into. We know Rahab, when Joshua's uh, spies went into meet her, she said, hey, I know the works that your God has done for you, right? They could see them from a distance. Now, Exodus chapter 14, verse 1, it tells us, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi, Ha, Heroth, between Migdol and the sea. Opposite of Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. Now that you all know where they're at. Verse 3. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. So again, God, as he's always done, he speaks to Moses. He says, hey, Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is what they're going to do. So now this is what I want you to do today. The Lord, he positioned them in such a place, he almost set a trap for Pharaoh. When it says that they were bewildered by the land, that the wilderness had closed them in, they were in the part of Egypt where the Red Sea is, that on one side they had mountains, and on the other side they had the Red Sea. And then they had just come back the way in the middle. So you think of these three spots. They got the Red Sea, they got the way they came, and they got mountains on the other side, right? They're stuck between a rock and a wet place is where they're at, right? So now they're here, and Pharaoh is going to think, you know what? I have them trapped. It's time to get them and bring them back. We see that the Lord says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Let's read real quick verse 5. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and that the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? 
that we have let Israel go from saving us. A few things for us to look at here. First off is Pharaoh quickly forgets of the ten plagues, the death of his firstborn son. And now he is enraged and angry again with the nation of Israel. Another thing that may have taken place is Pharaoh, right, he finally wakes up two, three days after they've been freed. And he looks at the country. What's left of the country? Not much. All the cattle's dead. All the fields are gone. Fishing is gone. The firstborn of every family is gone. And they haven't worked in like 400 years. They've had these slaves do all the work. So, hey, they have a nation they need to rebuild, and now all the workers are gone. You know what? It's time to get them and bring them back. Another thing for us to be reminded of is sometimes we come to the Lord, and we think, ah, Satan's finally going to leave me alone. I finally got saved. I finally got right with God. So now there's going to be no more temptation. The devil, he's going to leave me alone. I'm one of God's kids now, right? Not the case. Till the day we see Jesus face to face, we have an enemy. That's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So we continue, Pharaoh, his servants, they're mad. They turn against the people. Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and he took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, they went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Hairoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now again, put yourself here. You're out, right? It tells us that they were camping. They're out there in the wilderness. They have all their stuff. They got their tents. We don't know if they're in the middle of telling campfire stories or making s'mores or what's going on, right? And now all of a sudden they start hearing a noise. Ground starts shaking. Apache helicopters start flying over. They hear tanks coming at them. That's what is going on here. We hear chariots, we think of Ben-Hur, like some old-time movie. But chariots in this day and age was the peak of technology for armed warfare. This was the peak. This was the tank at the day. This is what helped Egypt become the world power that they were. Because they had more technology than any other kingdom. So now you're here, two million slaves. They don't have any weapons. And now you have tanks helicopters, right, F-16s are flying over. How would you feel, right? Oh, better finish this more. It's the last one I'm ever going to have, right? How would you feel? Right away, they're given to fear. They're freaking out, and with good reason, right? They do well at first. At first, they cry out to the Lord. And truly, whenever we're afraid, that's the first thing we should do. But they very quickly get off the path. Verse 11, then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? They're being sarcastic with him, right? Egyptians, they were big into graves. There's still grave sites today for the Egyptians. So they're saying, man, you've brought us out here to die. You could have left us in Egypt to die. At least we would have had a nice pyramid or two, right? Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? 
saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Family, fear is a dangerous thing. Fear is a dangerous thing. They were overcome with fear and that they allowed it to cloud their judgment. Sometimes fear creeps into our lives and now our situation in our view, in our perspective is greater and bigger than the Lord our God. Because our whole mind, our whole focus is not on God and his power. Our whole mind, our whole focus is on this thing that we're afraid of. Just like someone stands in front of you, wow, you're bigger than the sun. Don't say that to your wives, right? Don't say that, right? But if you're focused on them over the big thing behind it, you think, this thing is a monster. It's a monstrosity. It's huge. And now for us, when fear creeps into our hearts, we need to be focused on the Lord and be reminded that our God is bigger than any situation that we can find ourselves in. We need to stay focused on the Lord, right? And very quickly, they've forgotten all that God has done for them. Very quickly, they forget all their firstborn sons and daughters that are walking around with them. They're alive only by the grace of God. And now they're saying, you know what? It would have been better if we would have just been slaves in Egypt. And so often we forget what it really was like to be an unbeliever, right? We forget the lonely nights, the emptiness, the no joy, the no peace, the lack of love that we had, the bitterness, how cynical we could be. They're not saying, hey, it would have been better if we kept leaving our firstborn sons in the Nile. It would have been better if we would be whipped by the taskmasters. It would have been better if we were building bricks all day long in the heat. They think, oh man, Egypt was so much better. Verse 13, Moses says to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Is this the advice you want to be given when you're afraid? Hey man, I'm super afraid. Hey, don't be afraid. You just love that. When you're like super mad and angry and your spouse tells you, hey, don't be mad, don't be angry. Oh, okay, got it, right? That's great. That's great advice. Let me go for that, right? That's the first thing Moses tells the nation of Israel. Hey, don't be afraid. What's the second thing, right? You're afraid. Usually when we're afraid, there's a couple things that happen to us. Either we just get paralyzed. There's some of us that we just get paralyzed. Fear comes in and we just freeze and we can't do anything, right? There's other of us that we want to be in control. So we're afraid and then we have to do something. We have to control something. There's other of us that we just have to be moving. We just have to be doing something, and we think that that's going to make things go away, even though it makes no sense, right? No rationale. I just have to be doing something because I'm afraid. What's the second thing that Moses tells them? Stand still. Do nothing. Don't move. What? Moses, you were a general in the Egyptian army. We have the armies coming against us, and you're telling us to do nothing? Are you serious? But again, family, so often when we're fearful and afraid, the wisest thing we can do is to stop and hear from the Lord. Stand still and hear from the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. 
You're afraid. You're fearful. Don't just start doing things. Stop and hear from the Lord. You're going to see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Josephus, he tells us that it was about 250,000 soldiers coming down at the nation of Israel. And sometimes, again, there's situations in our life that, man, they're huge. They're miserable. They're terrible. But if we wait in the Lord and rely on the Lord, one day we're going to see that salvation. We're going to see that freedom, right? It's so important to write down those things. Some of us, we've gone through these types of situations that seem impossible. There's no hope. And in the midst of it, we think everything's going to go down. The world's going to just explode. A year later, two years later, five years later. I remember when I went through that, right? We need to stand still and hear from the Lord. And this is Moses. He's showing us what a man of God does and what a godly leader does, right? A good leader doesn't add to the fear. A godly leader, a good leader brings faith into the equation and he puts fear to flight. Men here, that's what we should be doing. Seasons where there's fear, seasons when there's question marks, we shouldn't be telling our wives to run and hide, right? That's not what should be going on. We don't see Moses, he looks at the army and just, Run for your life, right? Every man for himself. And Moses just runs, right? Runs away. No. He stands there and he says, you know what? Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Again, may that be the type of leaders that we are, the men of God, the women of God that we are. We bring faith into the equation. God is still God. Got to trust in him through thick, through thin. And armies coming against us. Hey, trust in the Lord. He brings faith into the equation, and he puts fear to flight. Now, is Moses some type of robot that he has no emotions? He's not scared? No. Verse 15 shows us right away he's human just like us. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Right? There's something missing between verse 14 and 15. We know Moses wrote the book. Maybe he didn't want to leave that part out, right? But we know God, he didn't have this in here. Apparently, there's a part where Moses, he acts as the leader in front of everybody. And then he turns on his own with the Lord and he's crying out. He's freaking out. And that is just being human. But again, as godly men and women, as leaders, we need to know when we can be open and bare before the Lord. And when we need to bring faith and power into the equation. Again, the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. What the Lord is also showing us here is, guys, there's times to cry. There's times of prayer. There's times of planning and preparation. But there are also godly appointed times to do something and to act some of us, right, we go on one end of the spectrum or the other. We're just prone to the prayer and the spiritual, but we don't like the actually having to do things. Some of us, we just like doing the doing things, right? And we don't like to pray. We don't like to hear from the Lord. The Lord tells Moses, hey, why are you still talking to me? It's time to go. Time to go forward. Verse 17, and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Again, this is so interesting. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, this is Moses' first interaction with Pharaoh. And he comes very kind. He just asks him, hey, can our people go and have a feast for God in the wilderness? And how does Pharaoh answer them in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2? Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is Jehovah that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know of any Jehovah, nor will I let Israel go. And over all these chapters, God's showing Pharaoh who Jehovah is. He's showing him who he truly is and the power that our God possesses. Verse 19, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel now moves and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one. And it gave light by night to the other. So that the one did not come near the other all that night. What we see here is the angel of the Lord, Jesus, is standing in between, standing in the gap between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And now the Lord, he's providing light and safe passage for his people. But there's a sense of darkness and evil to the unbeliever. And you see those two sides of God all throughout the Old and the New Testament, right? For some, it's a stone of stumbling. But for us, it's the hope of salvation. We need to continue to pray for unbelieving friends and family. But the Lord, he's standing there. He's standing in the gap. He's giving time for the nation of Israel to go through the Red Sea. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea. On dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. Again, this, this didn't happen in one minute or one second. You know, if you're a parent here, how long does it take you to get to the beach with all your kids' toys, right? That's just one family. Here you're talking about one, two million people with all their stuff. Got to go through the sand, through the beach, through the ocean, and up on the other side. In Psalm 77, it gives us a little bit more details as to what's going on here this night where the Lord completely frees and saves the nation of Israel. Psalm 77 and in verse 16 through 20, it tells us, The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and they were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook, and your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Again, this, this was scary, right? This is scary. There's a storm going on, lightning, thunder. You're staring at an ocean, and all of a sudden it's been torn in two. 
a wall on one side and a wall on another. Hey, you go first, right? You walk through it first. Let me see you get on the other side, and then I'll put my toe in the ocean, right? It's scary, but again, the wonder, the power of our God. And some people, they tried to, you know, water down these miracles in a sense. It wasn't really the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. It was just a swamp. But then you still have a miracle because the whole army of Egypt drowned in a swamp, right? Pretty, still a miracle there. Still pretty crazy. But we need to be careful if we're trying to water down certain miracles for people to believe. How do you explain the virgin birth, right? How do you explain God himself coming down and being a human flesh? How do you explain him being fully God and fully man all at the same time? Got to be so careful when we're trying to water down the Bible so that our minds would be able to understand it a little bit better. Back in Exodus chapter 14 verse 23, And the Egyptians they pursued and they went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off the chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. Right? One moment, they're freaking out. It would have been better if we would have stayed slaves in Egypt. A night goes by. The next morning, it's quiet. The stillness. That's why we've got to trust in the Lord. Verse 29, But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left hand. Right? We've seen recently the, the power of a tsunami, right? The power of a wave. We've seen that recently. So now imagine, right? Two waves, two tsunamis just crushing an army. You got to think of like when we like kill a mosquito with our hands, right? That's basically what the Red Sea did to the whole entire army of the Egyptians. Verse 30 and 31. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Again, the power of our God. Talked about it a couple of weeks ago. If you would pick any man to save a, a nation of slaves from the greatest world power at the time, who would you pick, right? Jack Bauer, John Wick, right? Who are you going to pick? To go in there and save everybody. But who does he pick? Right? A convict shepherd that's been hiding in the mountains for 40 years. How would you defeat an entire army? An A-bomb, right? Military might? Nope. All the Lord needs is a little bit of water. And he can handle all of it. Again, family, our God is so powerful. Two things to be reminded of. Verse 30 and 31. 
the Lord, he saved Israel that day. And they saw their enemies dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord had done. They're fearing God. They believed the Lord. They believed his servant Moses. God ripped the Red Sea in two. But the nation of Israel still had to do their part. They still had to go through. They still had to be obedient to the Lord, right? God, he ripped the Red Sea in two. But they had to walk through it. They had to go through it. Imagine if someone was too fearful. I ain't walking through that, right? I'm staying right here. They would be dead. And family, the same is true for us today. God has done so much for us. God is doing so much in our relationships and friendships with him now. But we have to do something. He's not just going to pick us up on a cloud and take us exactly where he wants us. We have a responsibility to seek him. We have a responsibility to take steps of faith. We have a responsibility that when he opens doors for us to walk through them. The second thing for us to be reminded of, and it's scary, is that just because God has done mighty miracles in our lives or in the lives of the Hebrew people, does not mean that we're going to stick with him until we see him face to face. You see, the Israelites, they were not very faithful to God. Even though they're literally staring at a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud giving them shade, food raining down from heaven, none of them made it into the promised land. Only two of them. So again, for us, we need to daily be seeking the Lord. You can't be sitting back saying, oh, I remember when God did this in my life. I remember how he saved me then. Oh, I remember when he did this, that, or the third. No, each and every day, we need to be seeking him. If not, we'll be just like the nation of Israel. That the first time something happens and it doesn't go our way, we're ready to curse God. And we're ready to say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm not sticking with him anymore. So again, for us, remember, be reminded. God, he loves us way more than we can ever love him. God, he wants you in his life way more than we will ever want him within our lives. But we just got to do our part. We got to answer that calling to love him and to follow him.